right. Well, welcome to the show, Reed. Really appreciate you know you being here. Uh, for everybody, this is Reed Goosens. He's uh, coming in from over in California, uh, local or not local, but uh, originally from Australia, uh, Wildhorn Capital. Uh, you're a co-founder of, correct? That is correct. And, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So um, this is actually our first virtual or uh, kind of Zoom. We were using StreamYard uh, meeting and podcast. So great to have you on. We'll try to have this be our uh, little experiment here. But, awesome. Uh, but yeah, uh, probably our audience uh, might not exactly know who you are. Uh, if you kind of want to uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into real estate, um, whether that was in Australia or once you kind of came here to the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, kind of your story leading up to what drew you into real estate, getting into commercial real estate, now being a bestseller. Um, sure. Yeah. Options, you know. There's going to be a lot there, but I'll try and make it as uh, distill it down as much as possible. So, um, as, you, as, as you said, originally from Australia, uh, I moved out to this country in, in 2012. And the reason I moved here was the really to chase two loves. The one was the love of New York City, and the second one was the love of, of a, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife. So, um, but I moved here really with just a dream to live in New York City and just be an expat. You know, my background's in structural engineering. I had a, I had a W-2 job. I, well, I didn't have a job when I moved yet to find one, but it was really just to come be an expat for a couple of years in New York, you know, li live as a local would live, and then eventually move back to Australia. But before moving to the United States, I actually caught the bug of real estate investing through reading the book that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard about, The, the Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I read that book back in the uh, beginning of 2010 after I'd returned um, from two years of, of traveling around the world um, after I finished university in, in 2007, where I studied structural engineering. So really the, the lead up to moving to the United States was all self-education, you know, found the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, really knew that I didn't want to be living in a cubicle for the rest of my life back in, uh, in 2009, 2010. And, and that book really resonated with me. It sort of struck a chord. And, and so I went out and actively started learning about real estate. And at the time I was still in Australia and I was learning about the, maybe do a fix and flip or a lease option or something. Um, but then and spent the sort of 2010, 2011 learning. And then at the end of 2011, Erica, um, my now wife, she was in Australia studying and her, her degree um, was over and she had to move back to, to, to America. And I said, hey, do you want to move to New York City? Because I want to live in New York City for a period of time and let's just give it a go, right? And she said, Brick, yeah, why not? Um, she's originally from Los Angeles and we, we packed up our, our you know, sort of life in Australia. I quit my well-paying engineering job and moved to New York City and didn't have a job lined up. I had was, came on a tourist visa and uh, pounded the pavements until I got a job. And, you know, moving in with uh, this girl who was you know, moving halfway across the world with this girl and, and new relationships and trying to find a job. So it was quite stressful. But really, within two weeks of being fresh off the boat, I was at my uh, first RIA, the Real Estate Investment Association's oh, wow. uh, yeah. event. And, you know, I thought Australia had some pretty cool events. But, my gosh, RIAs are just, you know, people listening to this show, you don't realize what you have here in America in terms of the access to information. And, and those events and those organizations that, you know, I, I think arrears pretty much in every single major metro across the United States, we had none of that in Australia. We had a very small meetup group that was met in someone's, um, you know, car, uh, not car park, uh, living room. And so, <laughs> you know, coming here was just like this eye-opening, you know, you know, seeing going to these events and being surrounded by other people and, you know, paying 20 bucks at the door and getting some incredible information that you'd pay a guru 10 or $15,000 in Australia. So it was really a sense of, wow, I knew what I came from and this is just incredible. So I was just, a, again, a sponge for the first six months of living in the United States because that's sort of changed my brain 
in and around US investing lingo. Like I didn't even know what an LLC was or I didn't even know what a credit score was. I didn't have any credit when I first moved here. But what I did realize was that, okay, New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they're all sort of very similar to the Australian market in terms of the high appreciation markets. But then you had these secondary and tertiary markets that were very, very cheap. And I was like, hang on, you can buy a house for $50,000 and four hours away from New York City? Like, yes, yeah, sign me out. Where do, where do I go do that? And so from there, within six months of moving to, to America, I I had bought my first property. And, and you know, my whole story and my whole shtick is that I don't try and boast about the quote-unquote achievements or success, whatever you want to look at it. It's more the fact that I, if I can do it, then so can the average American. Like I'm not a special case. I I I came here with limited funds. I had I knew no one. I didn't have a job. I was moving to a new country to chase a girl, and you know I'd put one foot in front of the other. But what I was good at was pushing my boundaries, right, and not focusing on the the outcomes or the failures of those of, of making certain decisions, like leaving Australia and moving halfway across the world, or like buying my first property, but being okay with the fact that I knew that. I wouldn't regret the decision in 70 or in 60 years time when, when I was 80 years of age. So that's what really resonates with me. And that's what really makes me my drive. And, and over the last eight years, it's, I've continued to push those boundaries. And, and over time, it's snowballed into this incredible company that I've created with my business partner, Andrew Campbell, uh, at Wildhorn Capital. And we now have um, a bit over 2000 units, about a quarter billion dollars assets under management and a podcast, got a couple of books. So, and that's all not to boast again. It's been a lot of freaking hard work, but it's it's the ability to show that a guy from halfway across the world can come here and, and make it happen. So, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. And don't don't worry about boasting, man. Like, uh, you need to share the story, you know, get everyone excited, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure. kind of interested, though. What, what do you think is uh, the biggest difference between maybe investing in real estate in Australia? And then, I mean, there's so probably many different markets in America in comparison uh, to Australia, not to say that maybe there aren't a lot of different um, different markets in Australia, but can you kind of clue us in on on maybe some of the differences yeah. and what what you kind of see as uh, maybe the most differing challenges too? Sure. So uh, I've, I've talked a lot about this on many different shows. So, so think of Australia and mainland America, excluding Alaska. Give or take, they're roughly the same land mass, right? Mm -hmm. However, Australia, we can only inhabit 20% of our land because the rest of it is a desert. It's an arid country. And so everyone's forced on the coast. In saying that, we also only have about 24, 25 million people. We have not even one-tenth of the population of what you guys have. So you have the same land mass as us, and you can inhabit north, south, east, west, and you have over 300, I think, 250 million people here. Um, so with that, there's, there's, there's this drive for secondary and tertiary markets. People move around the country and, and, and create these markets, and, and that is not what we have in Australia. We have, as I mentioned earlier, think of LA, New York, San Francisco, high appreciation markets, high demand, low supply because we're, we're defined to the coast um, and that is and the lack of and, and the populations. And through small population, we don't have near the, nearly the same financing vehicles that you have here in the United States, like 30-year fixed um, personal loans to buy houses backed by Freddie and Fannie. We don't have that in Australia. Oh, we don't wow. even have multifamily in Australia like you do see here. So large-scale garden-style apartments we, you can't just buy that in Australia. So in Australia, we have a rent to sell, so a condo model. And that's because the financing arm of that in Australia is that we only have four major banks and they only want they want to see before they finance a, a development project or, or, or block, of, block of apartments, 
the developer needs to sell X amount of those apartments off the plan before they will then come and fund the deal. So thus, you go down a, a condominium route rather than a, a buy as a build to rent model. Um, right. So. Just in that saying there, when I first came here and saw that multifamily was a thing, and, and yes, small multifamily is a thing in Australia, but not, again, coupled with the financing piece, the, the very attractive financing, the commercial um, financing aspect where they value these commercial assets on based like a business on their NOI, um, and they, they don't, they look more at the asset rather than the borrower. That would just blew my mind, coupled with multifamily, coupled with these secondary tertiary markets, and a lot lower barriers to entry in those markets compared to where I'm from. Again, think of that, that the high barriers to entry in the LA or, or the San Francisco, or the New York markets. And, and so coupled with all those things, it's the real difference between the two countries. And really, that's what my superpower is, and what I'm boasting again, uh, is my ability to have that outsider perspective and, and maybe the average American who, who doesn't know what they have in their backyard, it takes someone like me to say, hey, you've got some pretty freaking awesome stuff here. Get off the fence and get going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that a lot of Australians then um, go to the American markets uh, because there are, or is it still? No, local? no, it's um, it, it's still local. Like we have the same, everywhere you, around the world, you have complacency, right? People are complacent. Um, they invest in their backyard. They may or may not get out of their day job. You know, America is very similar to Australia and vice versa in terms of the average mindset, right? Oh, I've got my job and I'm pretty cool just cruising along and I'm, I don't want to do anything crazy. And my dad told me this, my, my grandpa said this. So we have that syndrome in Australia as well. And um, and it's very much a, you know, I think the, I remember when learning when I first started going to, uh, being educated in Australia that if you own three investment properties in Australia, like you're in the top five percent of investors like they're like but, but again you got to remember the barriers you know the average house hold in, a, in australia would probably cost you half a million bucks you know what i mean like it ain't you're not buying something for 150. <laughs> so um and cash flow isn't a thing in australia you're all negatively geared so it's all like uh if you don't know what negative gearing is it means that the money you put in into the property including interest rates would be reducted, reduced from your income. So if you had had $100,000 income from your W-2 job and you had a, a rental property that you had to pour $20,000 into that property, whether it's through mortgage payments or, or repairs and maintenance, then you could re reduce your $100,000 income to $80,000 and only be taxed on $80,000. That's what negatively gearing oh, means. I and that, that's more of the Australian mindset of where here you talk about the cash flow. And from, from my perspective, US out of all the Western countries in the world is the best for financing commercial assets and cash flow, full stop. You, you won't find what you can find here in say Europe or, uh, uh, or as prevalent as in Europe or, or, or London or Australia or Canada. So, yeah. And you know that to basically, again, the tertiary, secondary markets, and then of course, com any combination with the financing, right? Population, yep, financing, um, and, and you know, obviously the very, the, the, capitalism ego that you get here in america oh, yeah. compared, compared to compared to some other countries around the world so yeah 
For sure, for sure. So uh, you did you saw so you did some deals uh, starting out in New York. Uh, obviously, right now you're over in California. So what's kind of the story? Um, you know, you just hustled straight straight out for you know six eight months years and whatnot. Uh, started Wildhorn Capital, then kind of started moving assets and, and doing everything else. What kind of uh, markets did you start off with then? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe apart from New York, or maybe tell us a story of how yeah. you kind of yes. So the, the when I say New York, it was upstate New York, right? It was a okay. it, it was a Syracuse, Syracuse University. So oh. it was in Syracuse, MSA. And the only reason I chose it was it was cheap and I could get on a Greyhound bus from New York City because I didn't have a car and I could get up there in four hours. I'd get on a 7 a.m. Greyhound bus on Saturday, get up there, have two hours looking at properties, get back on the Greyhound bus and be back in, in New York City for a couple of beers with the boys uh, on Saturday night. So that was really all it was. Uh, and, and it was, it, what was that? sounds like a perfect day. <laughs> exactly. But the other thing was just, I was just blown away. I bought my first property, $38,000 for a triplex wow. back in 2012. Now, this fresh-eyed, bushy-tailed Australian figured out what the hell a ghetto was, right? <laughs> and what Section 8 housing was and all those sorts of things. And I learned, the, I don't learn the hard way, but you know, I had issues with that first property. I, I had a drive-by shooting. Um, I, you know, like the reason you, they're so cheap is, is for a reason right now but i didn't spend but that money i bought that first house was my own money right i didn't get any financing on it because like no banks would lend to me because fresh off the boat but i bought it all cash it was my money it was my money to, to lose um and but it was a i still vividly remember andre sitting in the subway reading a book and this is 2012 remember like i've been self-educating about two and a half years at this point so i got that analysis paralysis stage i was like i need to get in the freaking deep end like you're not going to ever learn about anything without doing it it's like it's like going to the gym right you don't lose weight by reading about it you open the door and you get on the treadmill so that's the same attitude that i had i was like you know you already moved halfway across the world you gotta bloody go mate like you, you had you, you you've got these opportunities here that you know rich that what talks about that creating cash flow go and give it a crack you learned about it you've learned enough about it now start taking action and that's the that's the biggest thing because for all your listeners out there it's not about the amount of money you make on your first deal it's about getting your foot in the door and getting a run on the board and that may you may net zero you may lose a little bit but you got started and you you give yourself permission to say well i can do this right and that's the most powerful thing because you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one yeah a thousand yeah so what was kind of the key motivator then that actually pushed you you just had enough of it enough analysis paralysis and just yeah right after it yeah it, it was just it was just more to do with like you know going to those rear events meeting other people saying hey i'm looking at this stuff up in new york city sorry up in syracuse um you know you should come up with me i'm, I'm checking out oh i'm interested that's interesting i could afford that okay that's, that's really interesting you know like so it was just through conversations through going to those rear events which was so critical in my growth here because it was literally within two weeks of going off fresh off the boat, I was at one. Yeah. And it was like, wow, look at this incredible community that has been created that is readily available to anyone. You can walk off the street and pay 20 bucks at the door. It's like, this is pretty freaking valuable. And that was that's what started it. So you surround yourself with other people who shared ideas with me, you know, give, planted little seeds of ideas and that grew to something more, you know? So it's all that type of stuff. And, and, and then eventually you're just like, well, let's go execute, you know? So, yeah. 
Sure thing. Yeah. Do you still have that triplex? No, I do not. <laughs> yeah. Sold it off. Sold it off. Um, but but it got me to, to the second. I got a second duplex up there, and that yep. duplex got me to flipping a house in Philadelphia, and that then got me to you know, having conversations about syndication and, and getting into starting my my, my podcast and, and trying to raise capital. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's all all those sort of good things. So there's the flies. There's that is it was all a stepping stone right every single you want to get to some future goal or target you've got to break it down and say what's the, what's step number one and that might be as simple as going to a real estate uh, area it might be as simple as getting on a greyhound busting uh calling some brokers and seeing if they can take on some tools that's that's where it starts from yeah for sure so at what point in time did you think you know i hey i'm gonna own two thousand units you know <laughs> i want to start doing syndication so you well, went for a triplex and then did you think that you wanted to scale up right away or uh what was the the decision making process behind that so two things i'll say to that is andres one is i never had a dream at all to own the company i own today and, and that we're going to go double this portfolio in the next two or three years and and what it really looking back on the last 10 years since i picked up the book rich dad poor dad it really goes to the fact that you can overestimate what you can achieve in a year but you can underestimate what you can achieve in a decade and i had no expectations of doing what i've what i've achieved and for me it's it's, it's it sends shivers down my spine but it's also really rewarding but it, re it reminds me that the next 10 years you know i don't i don't care where i am at 44 I just know that I'm going to enjoy the freaking journey because the last 10 years have been bloody awesome. You know what I mean? So, so, so then that, there's that side of it. The second, you ask how I got involved. It was more through a conversation with a very good friend of mine. Uh, end of 2013, I'm sitting in New York City. Um, I've got a couple of little houses upstate New York. I'm looking at some flips in Philadelphia. Still working, you know, I think I earn like 65 grand a year at a, at a little structural engineering firm in New York City. Wasn't earning a lot. Um, and my buddy of mine came down from Canada and, and I said, oh, you know, I'm boasting. Oh, look at these little properties I've got. I've got, you know, a thousand bucks a month in cash flow. Well, you know, some, some what was nominal, but it was a some, some amount. Yeah. And, he's, and he's like, oh, man, it's so, so cool. And, I, and he goes on to tell me, he's like, oh, I suppose on a 70 unit. And I said, what, like 70, <laughs> like zero? He's like, yeah, 70. I was like, how the hell did you do that? You know, and again, through these conversations, then it's like, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And he told me about OPM, which I already know about, like other people's money. I thought he spoke about uh, seller carryback finance. He talked about a mentor. And all these things were in my brain that I knew I had to do. But up until that, at that point, I'd only just been doing it on my own back, you know, my own skin, my own you know, pocket, all that sort of good stuff. And, and I, I, I consciously made a decision at the beginning to go spend that $38,000 to buy a house rather than go spend it on a mentor because I knew I would learn a lot more through buying one and doing one than a mentor. But I did know eventually I would need a mentor if I'm going to really scale. And that's when I sold those properties. And that's when I said, okay, if Scott can do it, I can do it. Let's go find a mentor. Let's liquidate some, some of these properties, have a little bit of cash, uh, and, and let's, let's, let's go give this a crack. And from there, it was... It, it was a, a long process, a slog of creating content online and creating a brand and creating something that people would want to listen to in order to share my story with folks because the fact is I was only going to get invested because people like my story, they liked who I am. And, and that's ultimately any anyone will only invest with you because they'll only invest with you if they like you, they like your story, if they trust you. The sort of the deal is secondary. And it's really important to have that base of investors and you've got to start from somewhere and i 
You know, I was, I was, I'm a structural engineer. I have a, a very much black and white brain. I didn't know anything about creating, creating a podcast or creating, you know, a brand. And that's where my mentor helped me give me the permission to take, a, again, another bet on myself and say, hey, I'm going to go pay this mentor some money and I better take his advice seriously because I'm about like, parting ways with this money. Now, it wasn't a, a lot. It's a relatively large sum, it's, you know, depending on where you are. It was 2500 bucks, but it was, it was a large to me at the time. And But again, it gave me the permission to say, you're worth it and you can go off and scale. Uh, and that's and that's what that's where it started, and 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 from there I relocated to, New, to to Los Angeles, and and I wasn't you know spinning a lot of plates, trying to keep you know relationships and trying to do side hustles and trying to find deals and underwrite deals, but trying to work full time at the same time. And I said to myself, well, if I've got to stay in this in a W two or corporate world for the next couple of years, because I knew I wasn't breaking out anytime soon, and and, and coupled with that, Andre, that I had to have a visa tied to an employer to stay in the country. Right, for sure. So I said to myself, well, I've got a structure engineering background. I've got a project management background. I'm sure a developer here in LA is going to find that valuable. And I just reached out to a bunch of them through projects I was working on as a structural engineer. And one of them said, hey, my wife's Australian. I love your story. Come in, let's interview. And through that, I went and worked for one of the bigger developers in, in Los Angeles. And um, I worked for them with nearly four years. And that was a way to be surrounded by real estate investing 24 7. Wow. And that was, that was, again another realization that if i'm going to be in this game i need to create part of my dna i need it to be surrounded all, all the time not just on the side or on the weekends and after work right i needed to be in the belly of the beast learning from the best of the biz about real estate development obviously i've gone off to create a, a syndication company but you know Ultimately, I know I'll be back in someday in the future. You know, you only start with indications because and, and cash flowing assets to build a base to then go off and do bigger and sexier deals. So, right. yeah. Yes. So, what does the future look like for you, Reed? Well, I mentioned before, we're, you know, we're, COVID's, COVID's hit and we're all sort of, you know, trying to navigate the world. But we are trying to double the portfolio in the next two to three years or 2,000 years. We're trying to get to between four and 5,000 units. We are a company, my business partner and I, Andrew, we're very aligned. We never want to be 20,000 units. We, we want to be a sustainable company. We want to grow at a sustainable pace. So that's maybe doing a deal a quarter, right? Um, and, and that's, we never want to, you know, we joke all the time. If we, if we get to a point where we need a HR, company, a HR manager, we're, we're done growing. You know, we, we want, you know, five to six employees and, you know, a four to five thousand unit portfolio. That may look like we bring property management in house at some point, um, become more vertically integrated. But you know, we're now building something from scratch. And right now, it's he and I. We just bought in a new partner. We've got an executive assistant. We've got a couple of underwriters. You know, it's pretty lean. And but we we're, we're scrappy, and that's the way we like to do it. And that's how you build businesses from 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 being scrappy. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love it. And not only that, but it really aligns with your story early on, you know, really didn't have much coming over uh, to New York, just find your way, hey, start, uh, you know, kind of buy, buying properties that could probably use a lot of work or maybe a lot of headaches, you know, along the way. And you know, it's just kind of all aligned. So yeah, that's yep. great, man. That's great. Yep. So for people that are kind of stuck in that, uh, that moment where you were, you know, uh, hey, this guy just bought 70 units, you know, uh, and he's telling me I should find a mentor, all that kind of stuff. For people that are kind of right there, like kind mm -hmm. of in the still in the beginning, trying to understand what they're looking for, all this kind of stuff, what kind of advice would you have for them for either like looking for a mentor or how to think about um, where what direction they should go? Yeah, look, and, and I think you can hear the in the story there is pushing, learning to push those boundaries all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when you start to push, 
being surrounded, and it sounds as cliche it is, it truly is around people you, you hang around with. Like my mate Scott, who I had no idea was even in real estate, he was doing this stuff. I, I already had him, held him as a high self-esteem. You know, I held him at a high esteem because he was a good mate of mine. And then he tells me he's done this awesome thing. I was like, huh, he just raised the bar. Like I've got to go, I've got to, I've got to meet it. Like again, he, he was a good friend. He's been a good friend for years. And right. so when other people around you are doing that type of stuff, you're like, okay, I need to, I need to up my game. And that is, and so that when you're in that environment, you then, and even could be just one other person, right? You aspire to be. You then listen to what they are doing and try and apply it to yourself. And I already knew. Remember, Andre, when I when I sit and talk to him, I, there was a little voice inside me. You need a mentor. Like you need to. You're getting to the end of your tether here. You need to to really make this ship fly. You need to go and have someone to be a sounding board. And and again, I found someone who was just who'd only done one deal, but it was he. he again, it was enough to. I'm going to pay someone and I'm worth investing in myself to, to get a mentor. And that's the mental mental clarity I needed through seeing someone else that was very close to me do it and be successful for me to say, hey, I'm worth this and I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to go take that next step. So that's that's the most important thing. And, and it, it's just about putting one foot in front of the other. Like so many people focus on I need to be financially free in two years or six months or whatever it is it's taken me it took me nearly eight years or seven seven and a half years to get to financial freedom where i was about to quit my between picking the book up rich dad put out between the day i can quit my job here in the states and also i got a green card so i, I married <laughs> <laughs> but what i'm trying to get at is that so many people give up and i'm the same way i wanted to happen yesterday right i compare myself to everyone else but you've got to run your own race and it's really important that you set if you have the right mindset on the front end like if you think it's going to take you two years, and it may take you two years, maybe a freak, and you get out in two years, great. But it's probably more than likely going to take the rest of us, the average person, between five to ten years. If you have that mindset going into this, you know it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a race, and you won't give up after you know, the end of two years and say, oh, it hasn't worked, I'm going to try something else. Yeah, and it's real estate. It's real estate. It's the consistency of doing whatever you start, whether it's podcasting, whether it's talking to investors, whether it's building your brand, it will take time. That overnight success that's been happening for ten years. Well, it's all those it's all those hours that people don't realise that that have been building towards this. And that's so many people give up on stuff because they just come into this business and any business that is, you know, including like losing weight. You know, the analogy I used before, it takes time, right? Nothing. There's no magic wand. There's no silver bullet. It's just doing consistent work over a long period of time that will eventually pay dividends and, and, and massive results. Phenomenal. That's awesome. So Reed, what does it look like for, you know, a normal day in your life uh, right now that you're doing a lot of, you're, do, you're kind of multifaceted here. You're doing a good amount of podcasting. you got books. Right now you're doing uh, capital raising and syndication and everything like that. What, uh, how do you best use your time and how do you yeah. best make sure that you're, you know, consistently hitting it? Um, I would imagine like small victories every day and, yeah. and handling so much, you know, for when you, when people do get to that level. Sure. So the big thing for me is time blocking. So podcasting, I only do on Fridays. You know, whether it be my podcast or someone else's, I only do it on Fridays. Sometimes I sneak in the Thursdays, but that's towards the end of the week. Knowing that Thursdays and Fridays, the week slows down. It's like that, the wave. <laughs> Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays is all the stuff. Uh, it's all the business. Um, and Thursday, Fridays, I can talk, talk do about podcasting. Very, I'm very, very into 
um, making sure my mornings are, are sacred to me and that I have time to have clear meditation practices uh, to, to set my day up for success. When I don't do it, I become very grumpy and I, if I look too quickly at my phone, which the app, you know we always want to, it's right. about taking that time in the morning, so that's really important. And then defining the tasks in my business that are really going to move the needle. And I define them by three different ways, Andre. I've got black time, I've got blue time, and I've got red time. Black time is this type of stuff, you know, podcasting, CEO driving, outward-facing activities. Like what? where's the North Star? How are we going to get the, the thinking about where, how are we going to get the ship to that North Star, right? Mm-hmm. Um, content creation, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and it also from a personal point of view, spending time with the wife, going to the gym, meditating, doing things that I enjoy. That's all in the black time because it makes me feel freaking good. Mm-hmm. The blue time is like manufacturing. So think like a manufacturing plant. It's the business. You need to be the manager of that, but you don't need to be on the line itself assembling the car parts, you know, putting it together. You need to be overseeing it, being the puppeteer. So that's like property management, asset management, underwriting. All those stuff go into the blue time. And then we've got the red time, which is all administration work that I I need to oversee a little bit of it, like administration bookkeeping, but I don't want to be spending any time in that time at all. And, and, and ideally, you should get, you want to get to a 50-50 with blue and red or, or even 70-30 with blue and black, with black being the most part. But in the beginning, when you're a solo entrepreneur, you don't want to, it might be, 30% real, 40% red and, you know, 40% uh, blue and like only 20% black. But over time, you want that black to keep growing. That's where you build your systems. That's where you build your employees. That's where you you, you, you realize where you're the bottleneck and what your skill set is and is not and hiring for that skill set. And it's little simple things like I hate cleaning the house. I'll pay someone 100 bucks every two weeks to clean the house. You know what I mean? Like, so I can be, I can be, have that mental clarity to not have to worry about that. Um, and so these are little like the first thing I remember doing when I was still had a W two job was when I was underwriting all these deals in Texas. Uh, I knew I was a bottleneck. I, I couldn't do my job well and try and underwrite deals on the side. I was, I was just getting burnt out. So I went and hired two undergrads from USC for fifteen bucks an hour, and they did it. And I taught them the way. And that was my first little quote unquote hire. And it was I could underwrite two or three deals a week each. And it cost me 30 bucks an hour. You know what I mean? Like that's that's brilliant use of my time that they can go do it. And it, it enabled me to be a better, to learn how to be a better manager of people. Um, and, and it freed up my time to, again, go have that mental clarity to go, instead of reacting to fires and keep sort of with the blinkers on, go, 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 and, and egg beating and all this energy, but not actually going anywhere and, and, and looking up and saying, okay, well, now that's been taken care of. I can now start to look towards the North Star. Where am I headed? And how do I direct the ship towards that area? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I would imagine as you were, you know, kind of like leveraging yourself out of, you know, the uh, the the blue and the red time, and getting yourself into that black time. I would imagine that your thoughts of, you know, taking on a partner or uh, get that company started, the company vision started pulling together exactly. and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So what were the challenges then, kind of taking that next step up um, for partnering with people? Uh, and then I would imagine that's how kind of Wildhorn uh, yes. Capital started, correct? Yes, and, and I had partners I, on a flip house in Philly. I, I had a partner, it just didn't work out. And what, looking back on it, you start listening to your intuition, your gut. And I knew on some of the existing other part, quote unquote partnerships I had, they were average at best, but it was like I was getting involved in deals and it was just like doing anything to get involved in deals. But over time, you realize to start listening more to your gut. 
Um, with Andrew and I, we have complementary skill sets. He has a skill set that he is in Austin, Texas, and I am not. I, that's something that I did not have, and that's something where I was coming up short and trying to deals because I didn't have those relationships. But he doesn't like the details. Like he's not the sort of. I've got that engineering brain. I want to break it, things and put them back together again. You know, and, and so he's. For, for, it was very much a yin and yang process. He was a he was a hustler like I was, but he also had a complementary skill set and was able to take things off my plate as I was able to take things off his plate. And and that is really where you start to scale. But it, I couldn't have started realizing that until I, we, you know, hired those two undergrads from USC. Right, I, I hired them before I even met Andrew because I knew I needed to get out of my own bloody way. <laughs> so um, and, and so really, when you're looking for a partner. That is the starting of, of that's the start of really, really to scale because there's a lot of hats to be worn in this business. You don't have to wear all of them, and you don't have to be a master of all. You can have other business partners that are good at those aspects: underwriting, property management, asset management, finding deals, raising capital, all these different skill sets that are needed. You, you know, you want to be uh, dangerous in all of them. You know, so you're not you know what to do, but you, maybe you're not a master at one of them. Maybe you just don't like raising capital. You don't have the the energy to do it, but you're really good at the, the, the number crunching or you know running the deals, you know running the deals day by day by day. That is a skill that you can lean into and, and find someone else to to do the other the other parts of the business. So it's really important um, to have complementary skill sets and be that yin and yang when you do look to partner up with someone. Mm, fantastic advice and a lot of things to consider. Of course, you know as people are scaling and or just even thinking about the future, you know, even as a beginner, uh, these are good things to, of course, not right away, but, you know, to have out there and start thinking about and whatnot. So exactly, it's um, awesome. Uh, so for uh, books and whatnot, you've written uh, two, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. At all? sure yeah, like I'm more than happy to. So really the first book, it's called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, is my, my podcast is called Investing in the US. So it was recreating content that I've already created into different formats. And it was taken from audio format into book format. And it was just taking the best episodes that I thought were really good from a starting point of view and putting it into a step-by-step chapter for about, I think, 12 chapters. You know, really from learning about investing lingo here in the United States, understanding how to create your team, choosing markets, um, understanding the 1031 exchange phenomenon, syndication, you know, all this stuff that I was learning uh, and, and doing through my podcast and then create, and that content was already created to then re, you know, transform that into written content and into uh, interweave my story throughout the, the chapters so it just didn't read like a math textbook <laughs> um, and that was that was the start of that first book and and again using other mediums to get the message out there so um, that was the first one and that launched two years ago and it, it got to number one on Amazon in a couple of different categories and it we just uh, I just launched on audible so if you're an audible listener you can definitely jump on there and audible.com and find it um, the second book is called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. And it actually is a, a, a collaboration uh, through the podcast. Again, I had started meeting all these other Aussies who are out here. Like, oh, you know, Reed's an Aussie. You should talk to this other Aussie guy I know. And we, I met sort of six or seven other Aussie blokes that were all out here. It made the, the pilgrimage across the ditch to invest in real estate or start some element of real estate or had achieved financial freedom through US real estate. And each chapter is a, is, a, is our story. And we started um, as a just a, a, a bunch of Aussies getting on a monthly call because we were all Aussies and we we're like-minded and we wanted to 
you know, have a bit of banter and, you know, talk, you know, meet, maybe meet up once a year. We sort of live around the country. And that was back in 2014. I think we started a couple of years later. We said, Hey, do you want to write a book? And, you know, it was taking all this time. We finally got here, but we all got, we all had a chapter of all achieved financial freedom through different ways of, um, different elements of of real estate. Like there's some, one guy's in mobile home parks, another guy's in fix and flipping. I'm obviously multifamily. Uh, one guy moved out here to start a tech um, property management company in Silicon Valley. So that was this uh, combination of, of our story of financial freedom. And we all have an individual chapter. And it's just another way to, again, increase exposure through through telling a good, a good story. Wow, that's fantastic. And everyone can find that on uh, Audible, I think, for the for the first book, and then of course on Amazon. And yes, that's correct. So, ten, so investing in the U.S. Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, or Ten Thousand Miles to the American Dream. And then, if someone wanted to uh, listen to your podcast, what was the name of that podcast again? Investing in the U.S. Investing in the U.S. That's wonderful. Uh, so, if someone really liked your story, wanted to reach out to you uh, for whatever reason, or even take a look at your uh, company, Wildhorn Capital, uh, mm-hmm. how would they be able to do so? Well, you can go to wildhorncap.com, which is, that's the business side of it. But, you know, if you want to reach out to me personally, you head over to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. The podcast there, the books are there. Um, there's links to my, my blog. You can also schedule a call with me if you need, if you want to, you know, if you want. Um, and for any listeners or any of your listeners, I should say, that are coming through LA and they want to hit me up and want to, you know, talk shop and grab a beer or grab a coffee uh you can hit me up at info info at reedgoosens.com that's wonderful uh any party messages at all no i, I think the, the, the big one is the, the advice that i've always been given by my dad was a fool and their money are easily parted and uh don't be a fool and get out there and start learning and so i challenge everyone listening to the show now in the time of covid we it's pretty easy to attend networking events i uh, i want everyone to attend at least three networking events in the next month and go, do those same networking events for the next six months and i bet you you'll start to surround yourself with people you aspire aspire to be and that will lift your game to take it to the next level wise words wise words well thank you so much reed really appreciate your time and joining us today uh lots of people should definitely go check you out if they haven't already buy your books listen to your podcast uh, see what you're all about and everything like that. So again, thank you so much for your time, Reed. Right, thank you for uh, for having me on, and you're doing a cracking job. So thanks a lot. Appreciate it, sir. Well, thank you everybody for joining in. See you next time.